Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Episode 113 of the Keith Law Show. We're going to do a little baseball talk today with Justin Havens, who's my colleague for several years at ESPN when we both worked on baseball tonight. Neither of us with them anymore. Um, so we're going to spend 25 minutes slagging our old employer. No, we're actually not going to do that. We just talk baseball, I promise. Um, for those of you waiting for my prospect rankings, they will begin to run on Monday, January 30th with the top 100. The current schedule has the just missed list and then the farm system rankings running at some point later that week. And then the team by team top 20s will run the following week, one division a day, starting on February 6th, running through the 11th. And then February 12th, we all watch the Eagles win the Super Bowl. For those of you who follow me for or are interested in board game content, I did have a new review go up over at Paste Magazine uh, earlier today. Actually, I'm recording this on the 24th. Uh, I reviewed the game Rear Window from Funko Games, which was a little bit of a disappointment because I love the movie Rear Window. I'm a big Hitchcock guy. I mean, I know it's a bit cliche, right? If you like movies, you, you should like Hitchcock. If you like movies and you don't like Hitchcock, then you don't really like movies. And I thought Rear Window would be a bit of a different experience, but it it is more guessing than deduction. You can read my review to understand exactly why I go into kind of a lot of detail of why I think it doesn't work as a cooperative mystery game. I like games like that. This one turned out to be a little too opaque to pull that off. And you end up, like I said, you end up guessing a bit. And I just think they didn't quite get the balance right necessarily. The art looks great though. It does. They have Folks from the original movie, art, some art related to the original movie. I loved that. I love when Funko, you know, they acquire a lot of licenses and do that. But the game itself didn't really come together for me. And finally, before we get to the interview, just uh, to throw it out there. uh, Some of you know that I'm a big movie guy. My wife and I every year try to see all of the Oscar nominees. I... uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this morning's nominations. I'm not going to go into any great depth here. Um, I will just generally say I I can't believe the blue people got a best picture nomination. Now, I haven't seen it, so I guess it's possible it's that great of a movie, but I I doubt it. I really doubt. I certainly doubt it's one of the 10 best movies of the year. Um, The snubbing of decision to leave, not just in best picture, but in best international film, where it was not just submitted by South Korea, but made the 15 film shortlist is absolutely appalling to me. That's a top five movie for me so far among 2020 movies. So just speaking of what's eligible for the Oscars. And uh, so is After Sun, which I was very glad to see Paul Mesco get a Best Actor nomination. He was more than worthy. That's a wonderful film. Uh, if you have a chance to watch it's rentable basically on all the streaming services, After Sun is also a top five movie for me from last year. It's, it's really 
close to perfect. It's a small movie. It is not incredibly ambitious. And that's about the only bad thing I can say about it. It's really pretty wonderful. It should have gotten a Best Picture nomination. There was no chance of it doing that. But to see it get a Best Actor nomination, I was pretty pleased. Oh, and I guess one final thought. I'd never heard of To Leslie until this morning. I think I'm not alone in that. But yeah, I did about a triple take when that showed up. I was watching some of it live and just had a, wait, what? Moment when that came through. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by my former colleague at ESPN. Uh, he worked on Baseball Tonight with me, Justin Havens, who up until very recently was also working for Major League Baseball and their social arm, doing a lot of work on uh, podcasting. He's also uh, previously did some podcasting uh, for Starting Nine. And he is a big baseball rat. I think that's probably the best way to describe you. So, And that's why I'm having him on. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this is great. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been uh, a listener of your podcast the entire time you've been with The Athletic or the entire time that it's existed. You know, I'm a huge fan, not only a, a fan, but a friend. And um, it's been a long time since we've talked baseball. So well, I'm looking forward long. to it. Yes, yes, too long. Absolutely too long. So we are mostly going to talk baseball, though we can certainly talk lots of other things. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but here in the depth of the hot stove, uh, as we were just sort of messaging back and forth, I asked what you were hottest on. And I'm going to read a quote here um, from your email, which I think is really a good starting point. You said, I can't shake the fact that the Rangers have invested a ton of money in three guys while the rest of the roster feels short of being ready for those investments. Um, I tend to agree. Why don't you elaborate a little bit on that, sure. on how, how, especially how you view uh, not just the rest of the roster, but also what do you think of those three big investments? I don't know that I feel like those are the right three guys necessarily to put the big pile of money into. I agree. I th like nobody who's listening to this podcast needs to talk about needs me to talk about how great Jacob deGrom is. But like on a on a per start on a on a perhaps two, maybe one or two of the seasons over the five-year deal, you're going to get some of the most sublime pitching that anybody in the game is capable of delivering either <laughs> like present pitchers or historically. Um, right. <laughs> but I'm with you. It feels like those three were the guys they invested in, those three being DeGrom, Corey Seager, and Simeon, um, because they were the ones who were available and maybe willing to take the money um, in those given off-seasons. And while they undoubtedly make the team better, uh, it, it doesn't feel like it's the, and I hate to criticize a team for spending money because as I get right. older as a baseball fan, like <laughs> the one thing that really resonates with me is teams that are willing to invest in the product um, yeah. and, and get better on the field. And so I admire them for doing that, but it doesn't feel like the rest of the roster was ready for the infusion of talent and the, where those three are on the age curve um, that it is. They have $91.5 million wrapped up in those three. If you take those three and add basically the rest of the pitching staff, which is Perez, Ivaldi, Gray, and uh, Heaney, that's $155 million. So you're at a point where they're seventh in payroll overall entering 2023. Mm -hmm. And while, again, that's that's a good thing, but it doesn't feel like it leaves them a lot of um, upward mobility in terms of added payroll, which you're going to inevitably need to supplement this roster i think because even though they've they've laid out these expenditures it's a totally incomplete team they were 38 games back of the astros last year they were 22 back of even the mariners so it's not like the it was it's just an astros problem um and as i think we'll talk later like i think the mariners got appreciably better or can be expected to be mm -hmm. appreciably better than they were last season so it's kind of like a a, a dual co a problem thing where uh like yes there are certain 
young players on the team that I think you can build in uh, some expected improvement for. You talked about that, I know, in your DeGrom Rangers article on The Athletic, but mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's enough, and I don't think there are enough of those players to overcome the fact that above and beyond the risk that those three are not contributing at a star level. Like we saw Mm -hmm. how that can hamstring the Ranger season when Corey Seager got off to, by his standards, the brutal start that he had through the first two or three months of the season. Mm -hmm. Semyon was certainly not the same player um, that he was in in uh, 21 that he was in 22. Um, So like, you need all of these guys to be fully functional to have a chance. And there's just an enormous amount of risk built in with all three, I think. So I just too much too soon, maybe is the, mm-hmm. is the too long didn't read version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think is, cause obviously I'm in the midst of, of my prospect writing at this point, I actually uh, finished pro- uh, capsule 75 out of a hundred. I'm very big on, like I get very locked in on, like I hit a good round number here too. And I feel much more accomplished. And it's like, I need to get this much done before I can talk to, Justin say. So I did, which is good. But in the Ranger system to me, they'll have a couple guys in the top 100. Their system is, I think, kind of deep, but I don't know that there are a lot of stars in there. And I wonder if some of this was, you know what, we're going to produce a lot of big leaguers. We may not produce any sixes and certainly any sevens. You could maybe squint and see Evan Carter turning turning into that. He's made a lot of improvements, and he was an amateur. But I think he's he's first of all he's very young, and he's still got a couple things he has to do. He's not he's not getting the big leagues tomorrow, right? So to to your point about timing, I wonder if they just looked and said, "Hey, we got to get some stars." A, the team's going to yeah. be not very watchable in the short term, and B, to me, that's a flaw. That's a strategy, right? We are are you know obviously everyone wants to develop stars but you look at your system and say objectively we like our farm system we may not have any stars we're just going to produce a lot of you know average or better slightly better big leaguers let's get some stars in place and then our farm system will fill in around them i, I like that but i wonder if you i to what you said was this too much too soon did they jump less so with seager cuz i still think you know seager was young and like yep. he, he was yep. better in the second half the it's least the problematic of, of the three by far, I think. I totally yeah. agree. And frankly, I would even pile in some of the pitchers on that too, where it's like, yeah, I'm not really worried about Seager. I'm worried about a lot of the other investments. And it's not even that they're going to – we're not saying any of these guys are going to suck. Like no. It's just you when you've committed that much money, that much of a percentage of payroll, it's not about the dollars, but you've started to reduce your flexibility. If a bunch of, the, bunch of these pitchers do what they've done recently, which is get hurt, they pitch really well and then they're on the injured list for 40% of the season. You're kind of stuck. Yeah. And and I agree with you that that division that division's tough and I, the the Angels are going to miss the playoffs cuz they always do, but they're not going to be a pushover. There's one bad team in that division and that really makes the Rangers task even harder to me. For sure. Um context is important uh with what they're competing directly against and like I I guess if I want to spin it uh, on the optimistic side and you sort of hinted mm-hmm. at it with Corey Seager, like there's a lot to support statistically the idea that Corey Seager is going to be better in 23 than he was on the whole in 22. Like that, if you look at just what he did basically over the final three months of the season, which whatever our arbitrary endpoints and all of that, but like yeah. he was in a new, he was in a new situation. Um, and in the second half of the season, he was much more like the Corey Seager that we've come to expect. Uh, you know, if, to whatever whatever weight you give stats like you know the the gap between your your expected woba and your actual yeah. woba and stuff like that he was one of the league leaders in in the gap in the wrong way um and right, <laughs> right. so i think there's and then you know i i know there's a lot of speculation that 
I guess we'll see what impact the shift has on individual players, but you know, there's the potential that Corey Seager could be a guy who um, gets a little bit of a marginal bump from that as well. So I think there's, mm-hmm. if there, if there is a way for the Rangers, it's that Corey Seager's playing at, you know, kind of a down or mid ballot MVP level, um, which yeah. I think is possible. I uh, buy that. But, and, and that DeGrom is competing at a Cy Young level, which is also possible, but to have both of those align same I'm season while also, exactly right. Like it, it, it probably will happen in any indiv- in one individual season for both those guys over those five or six year deals, but to have them happen in the same year is kind of what the Rangers need. And that's the problem. Yep. Agreed. Um, they will be more watchable and I do, no I like that. You know, that is, I, I completely agree with you that watching these teams put the money, put, watching the teams who are willing put the money in, we should just generally say, hey, I'm glad they're spending. Um, you mentioned well, the and, Mariners. Well, oh, go uh, ahead, go ahead. Go no, ahead. from the yeah, visual, yeah. from the aesthetic angle of watchability, like obviously Jacob deGrom is more watchable than the rest of the team combined, right? Like he's now in appointment viewing. Oh my God, viewing. yeah, he's must see yeah. TV. Yeah, the Appointment absolutely. viewing. And that's equally, that's doubly important because I find... This is not this is not important in in reality, <laughs> but I find their stadium, the viewing experience of the stadium on TV, to be among the worst in the sport. It feels like a mausoleum at times, and it just feels Oof. like very dark. Um, and you know, that that that's like that's like the weeks. guy that's the perspective of the person who watches way too much. Uh, yeah, baseball. Have you been the to season. the stadium? I have never been to Globe Life. I have not been. Nope. Um, so there's a college tournament there. Uh, early in the college season, I'm going to go for that because obviously I don't travel much for major league stuff. I, you know, it's just not my job. Um, yeah, sure. And so, you know, I'm, I'm I'm going to more exciting places like Beloit. Um, I'm going to get some mad, angry tweets about that one. Anyway, the point being, I am going to actually see the stadium for the first time. I think there's three stadiums left that I have never seen any game in okay. whatsoever, and I'll hit two this year: um, Globe Life and then Seattle. And I, I think not, that will yeah, Seattle's in. on my list too. Yep. So they built they were building. I had a summer internship when I was in grad school in Seattle as they were building Safeco. And I was like, I'll get back at some point. That was 24 yeah. years ago. Life and I life guess comes I'm finally getting there. Yeah. Yes, it really <laughs> does. Yep. I made a whole teenager in that time uh who is now driving, <laughs> which is terrifying. Oh, um, speaking of Seattle, so uh yeah. one of the questions I posed to you before is are there mariners? set basically are they set to improve they made a bunch of small moves this winter and i'm not saying they necessarily needed to make a large move but i wondered if they would right they just got into the playoffs last year it was a good great season good october for them obviously they had the longest playoff drought now they don't but i wondered if there was a big splash coming and they didn't but you mentioned before you feel like they have made significant improvements so defend yourself yes i will um i you know jerry depoto's uh, trade games have become like, you know, its own inside baseball thing. And I'm not, I think a lot of them pass by my, my window and I, it's just like, eh. but I think on the whole, this off season, they made mm-hmm. incremental improvements almost across the board. And I think when you combine that with some of the reasons for, um, optimism for, uh, people who are already on the roster, I think it's totally reasonable. I don't, I think expecting them to close the gap between with them and Houston is optimistic, uh, even with the Justin Verlander departure. But I, I really do think that the Mariners are, um, you know, here to stay in the AL West. It feels like we're always talking about are the Mariners sustainable because they've they, you know, they won 86 games with a negative 85 run differential. You know what I mean? It feels like the Mariners, right. are the kings of that right. season. That wasn't the case last year. Like they outscored their opponents by 60, whatever runs. So you got 
the way the way that it lines up, at least as I'm seeing it, is that you're replacing Carlos Santana with AJ Pollock. I think that's mostly a wash. Um, I'd probably rather take my chances with AJ Pollock this year, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that's all that meaningful. You're replacing Hanniger, and they really only got a little under what was it, 250 plate appearances from Hanniger last year yeah. with Teoscar. Um, who like the Teoscar Hernandez acquisition reminds me if not an exact shape, then mo- then like motivation and thinking to the uh, Eugenio Suarez acquisition from the prior offseason where mm-hmm. like you have a a guy who showed like, we'll say like low level all star production in previous years and then had right. kind of a de- had kind of a decline. And Teoscar is a better player than I think Suarez is and didn't show that yes. level of collapse. But I think the same thinking's in play here where. Um, he's a better player than he showed last season. And I do believe mm-hmm. that's the case with Teoscar. Um, you know, he, there's like, and then you've got the Colton Wong, Adam Frazier, um, uh, swap, basically swap where like, to me, that's a clear, at least on paper upgrade. When you fact yeah. like Wong was a full win plus better in fewer plate appearances last year than Frazier. And there's nothing about either one of their performances that seemed totally, out of whack or why that wouldn't continue last year. And then like you get a full season of Luis Castillo, which I think Mm -hmm. is probably as important as all of the offensive incremental moves combined. Um, I agree. And, you know, like I don't know what Jared Kelnick is going to have to do in the major leagues for me to like be completely off of it, but it's going to have to happen in a much larger, more sustained sample than it's happened so far. Like I know he was, he was basically brutal when he came back up in 22 again. And like, Mm -hmm. no matter how you splice the stats or do, you know, game logs or whatever, it was bad, but yeah, Jesse Winker also wasn't really very good last season. And I think I'd rather take my chances with internal improvement and more playing time from Kelnick than I would with trotting out, you know, kind of a cooked veteran again. So I think like, I, I don't think it's a wholesale, you know, five, six, seven win improvement, but I do think this team is, is better than it was last year. And, Again, that's as much about Castillo as it is about anything they did this year. But I don't think I think they were all, if not marginal steps forward, than at least than at least uh, treading water. There's a good argument for it, right? We the team's pretty good. We're expecting yeah. some internal improvement from guys we already have. Um, so Pat, so you know, identify smaller areas of weakness and improve them. You know, if you improve three or four of them slightly, uh, the long one is the most interesting one too, where his defensive numbers were way down last year. And I mean, he was, I even saw interviews where people asked him about it. He's and and he kind of acknowledged, like I've not played my best. This was a guy who was a really good defensive second baseman for a while. And if he even just splits the difference right between where he was two years ago and where he was last year, then the volume of upgrade they just achieved there is even bigger. Um, and they do still have their, their system is obviously depleted by trades and a lot of promotions, but there's still some, stuff coming to where you can look and say they might even get some in-season help. You know, maybe a Bryce Miller uh, comes up and helps, even if he's not, he's a starter in the minors, but the kind of guy who could come up and help out of the bullpen later this upcoming season, for example, like, I think they're pretty well positioned. I don't know that that catches the Astros, right? The Astros are just really, really good. But if you're, I feel like if you're one of those teams, if you're the Padres chasing the Dodgers, I think the same thing applies. You just say, we're going to put together the best team we can, you know, hope we've got a 95 win team on paper. And if that's only second place in that division, it's largely out of our control, 
but you want to be prepared in case the team ahead of you just has that one year where no question. guys get hurt, stuff goes wrong. I feel like Seattle's probably put themselves in position to to say that. If the Astros only win 92 games this year because disaster strikes, the Mariners are ready. No question. And and we haven't even talked about like the potential development next step that Logan Gilbert or George Kirby could take too. like their rotation is not fully formed, right? Like, yes, Luis Castillo and having him for a full year is the most important part. And, you know, to what extent do we trust Robbie Ray? I'm not really sure, but it it could matter less and less for this (laughs) team, right? Like uh, Robbie Ray is probably the fourth best starter already on this team. And that's a great spot for him to be in, frankly, Um, Mm -hmm. contract aside. And I, I'm, I lean optimistic on both Gilbert and Kirby uh, from what they Mm -hmm. showed last season. And I think that there's a scenario where like this, this rotation is, you know, top three, top four in the AL. Um, I think it could, I think it could be very exciting. Yeah. Just looking at Gilbert is probably about where I think he'd be. And I love Gilbert. You know, I don't know that there's a big step forward there. It wouldn't shock me if he improved off of this, but this is about the pitcher. I was hoping he'd be, especially when he came out, after see for folks who don't remember his draft year his velocity was kind of off he came out of the cape cod league the previous summer and it was hey this guy might be a top 10 pick comes out the next spring his velocity's down turned out he had mono lost a bunch of muscle you know just wasn't the same guy mariners get him out the next year and boom velocity's back he's just the guy he used to be and he was always a good command good delivery guy like i think you've seen probably close to peak logan gilbert kirby on the other hand you know just 50 more innings of the same. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. Right. And I think there's still more like he might miss more bats. Um, He's all, he is their best strike thrower. And I think will probably continue to be so, but as he, and he's really young, he's not very experienced. There could be quite a bit more there would not surprise me if we looked up at the end of the season and said, Oh, Kirby was actually their Well, I'd say second best starter, right? Castillo, you just assume will be the best. Wouldn't surprise me if Kirby just leapfrogs Gilbert, nothing against Gilbert, but Kirby has room for improvement there. Um, which I think is one of their best potential opportunities for internal improvement as mm-hmm. opposed to the external guys we just discussed. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, just real quick, I know we didn't talk much about the Angels beforehand, but do you give them any chance? I mean, is this or is this the another, hey, like Mike Trout, what's the joke? Mike Trout hit three home runs, Shohei Otani punched out 12, and, you know, the uh, Tungsten Armo Doyle tweet, and the Angels lost 7-5, to five, <laughs> it, right? That's, it's not totally fair. It just fair. looks like them again. Yeah, it's not totally fair, but mentally I've already sort of fast-forwarded to the Shohei Otani trade sweepstakes. Um, yes. And, and how that's going to play out because... I'm just 
this is not an objective stats answer. I'm ready for <laughs> Shohei Otani to play. And Mike, I, I would say Mike Trout too, but it seems less likely that he's dislodged no. from from um, the Angels. I'm ready for Shohei Otani to play on a team that matters and that is yeah. not like an active... De- a- like The Angels have at this point become like a shockingly depressing team for having mm-hmm. two of the five best players in Major League Baseball. Uh, and... Yeah. I, I don't give them much of a chance. I like the Tyler Anderson signing as an individual yeah, move. Uh, I think like, you know, I know everybody, I know there were some snickers where it's like, oh, they're the angels are signing a Dodgers guy like this. This is going to go poof, right? Every yeah, Everything right. that the Dodgers do right, the angels won't be able to replicate. But I do think for, you know, pitch mix reasons and stuff like that, I think there's, um, I think there's optimism for Tyler Anderson to repeat a lot of what he did last year. I think mm-hmm. they needed his quantity uh, as well. Uh, because oh for sure when Shohei's your most reliable like it, it I just don't think it's fair to ask that Shohei Otani is your most reliable pitcher from a quantity standpoint you know no, what I mean right? like I, I, it's not realistic he probably will be and he's you know one of the right. five best five <laughs> or six best pitchers in the AL when he's at his when he's at his best but I just that's a lot to ask of one man and so I think that was an important signing I just don't think it comes anywhere near closing the gap between uh, what they need to do with like to me, they're more of a Rangers team uh, than mm-hmm. they are a Mariners or even Astros situation. Uh, you know, the decline of Anthony Rendon is Ugh. to me like one of the single most significant like player team inflection points of the last five, 10 years, because if he's still an all-star caliber player and is playing like not only has he not been good on a rate perspective, but he hasn't really been available for them either. And right. The whole idea of that, sort of stars and scrubs setup is that the stars yeah. play. Um, and that that's just been a, a, an enormous sinkhole of money. And it feels like every time the angels open up that contract slot, that it's just devoted to somebody who just completely sidetracks what they're trying to do, whether that's, you know, going all the way back to Hamilton or CJ Wilson or, you know, the better part of Pujols' deal. It's just, yeah. I'm out. I'm out basically. Their, their depth chart. I'm just, I just pulled it up. I mean, it is depressing, right? There's a how lot is it of guys this bad this still, team. Keith? How is it still well, this bad? Like, right? Like, they're they have a bunch of starters who are not starters, right? Or who at be- at best, I'm talking about the position players, not even yeah. the rotation here, who just would not start for a majority of teams. But probably wouldn't start for more than about ten teams in baseball, which is fine if you are a bad team. And you're like, we're trying some guys out, some you know internal options, some minor league, you know, six year free agents, etc. But my God, that is, I mean, they could have six, I, even if I'll set Rendon aside, because I think you can't tease apart that he's been bad and he's been hurt. Maybe those two things are together yeah, or sure. connected, no but my God, there's like six spots in that lineup that are just like, that is how, how is that still possible? On um, every year, every year, you know, they, they become irrelevant by August and I'm like, all right, well, I, I'll pay attention to them for trout and Otani reasons, but th- they're done now. And I always hope that when December and January rolls around and, you know, your prospect rankings come out and I'm like, all right, tell me that there's like this surge of angels, minor leaguers coming up that I didn't know was happening and that they all busted, you know, they all broke through uh, on the yeah. second half of the season or whatever. And it's never true. Like, no. Nope. Uh, like Renfro, Walt, not to pick on these guys, but Renfro, Drury, Walsh, these are guys, like these guys to me are people who are better. They're fine. They should all be on a yeah. team. They can all play roles, but they're all yeah. going to be overtaxed on this team. And 
I mean, Walsh already has been overtaxed, I think, yeah. um, with what the quantity of playing time they've asked from him. So I'm just, uh, unfortunately, I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of DOA a little bit for the Angels yeah. again this season. It's frustrating. It is frustrating, frustrating. as somebody who wants to see. I want to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs. And they're the single most Ohtani frustrating team from a neutral fan perspective. Of yes, I mean, arguably my lifetime because I most like I guess if I'd been a little bit older during some of the Barry Bonds Giants roster construction era where they were just just not getting it done for him, right. you know, with the with you know the rare exceptions of when he basically forced them uh, through yeah. the playoffs, but like. Other than that, this has been this is as bad as it gets because it was bad enough when it was Trout, and then they were. I think I remember at the time being the like the fact that Otani signed with the Angels was at least mildly surprising. Uh, and yes, and it it's just like you get another guy, another generational player, and he's also going to be wasted in even a more spectacular fashion than Mike Trout's prime was wasted, right? And yeah. it's it's like that's your encore. It's actually not improving the team. It's it's wasting an even more special, more unique right. talent, right? <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> you th- you think we may wasted Mike Trout's peak yeah, years? Just... Hold my beer. Exactly. Yes. Um, two teams that I wonder if they should have done more, and I think the fan bases of both, just based on sort of what I'm seeing, hearing a little bit, um, th- that they didn't do enough. The fans feel like they didn't do enough. You know, one, the Pirates, who I'm surprised Brian Reynolds is still on their roster. And two, I I don't think I was alone in thinking this would be the time the Orioles would go out and spend on some pitching, and they really didn't. So pick one, both, wherever you – do you agree with those sentiments that both of those teams should have done something like that this offseason, assuming, assuming that the offseason is basically done. We're not likely to see a ton more activity. I guess I'm not surprised that they didn't do something, but in the case of the Orioles, I'm I'm disappointed. I think is mm-hmm. is the way that it works. Like I, I'm the Pirates to me are as unserious of a franchise as exists outside of Oakland. I, I think is mm-hmm. the easiest way to put it. And it, like you know, Tampa at least wins games. Th- this team is just like the Andrew McCutcheon reunion tour seemed to be their plan for the offseason and. and that's kind of what it is. I, the Brian Reynolds yeah. thing, like you're much more aware of the trade market than I am. I think that's exceedingly surprising, especially with the rumors of the the extension that they that they offered him, or whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But like, it, it doesn't seem like they're valuing him for an extension, right? So right. it's surprising that they wouldn't trade him. But for the the Orioles, to me, are much more disappointing because you're talking about an 83 win team that like sort of semi intentionally put on the brakes leading up to the trade deadline, right? And prioritize, mm-hmm. I don't think incorrectly, but prioritized, no, yeah, cashiering some assets um, for, you know, the long-term and kind of not prioritizing a wild card run in 22. That's fine. But the moves this offseason have left a lot to be desired. Uh, and I think it's, you have this offensive core that is potentially not only really good, but really interesting and really affordable. Like obviously mm-hmm. Adley and Gunnar Henderson was in the, in the amount that I got to watch him down the stretch last year. Uh, very exciting. I like I, that, yeah. that, that, that seems oh, like I'm he's all in. A total package. Um, yeah. And he keeps getting better. Like I saw him early 21, late 21, early 22. It's like, Oh, this, this guy just keeps getting better every time he moves up or even within a stint at a level. 
he gets better. He his body's better. His swing is better. His defense is better. I mean, I keep saying he's like Scott Rowland at third base. Like I, it seems high, like there's some praise, real helium on yeah. his on his stock uh, over the yes. last like year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I um, think all of us. It was it was interesting. I obviously I see a lot of them just by virtue of yeah. where I live. But I still talk to other scouts too. And one guy, I, I can think of one scout in particular who was like, "Yeah, he can play shortstop, but have you seen this guy at third base? Like, holy shit, this guy's really really good <laughs> at third base. Like maybe elite defense." And I'm thinking. You know, what if you had a Nolan Arenado type, right? And Arenado was another one who flipped the script entirely uh-huh. on his defense, where it was like, yeah, he's really, really good at third, but also you can go stand it short for a week and he's not going to hurt you at all. Like, that's pretty good defensive player who's also got some some stick. For sure. Uh, and like, you know, Cedric Mullins is now more, I think, more properly slotted as like your third or fourth best offensive, like overall position yes. player. Um, yep. And so like... So I and then you've got Ryan Mountcastle. So like you you asked a like breakout players potential, and mm-hmm. I think Mountcastle is on a short list for any sort of breakout uh, potential. You you look at like the largest gap between slugging and uh, expected slugging. He was he had the largest gap in the wrong mm-hmm. way among qualified hitters right. last year. Um, he was eighth in MLB in barrels per plate appearance, and the guys that were ahead of him: Judge, Jordan, Trout, Stanton, Schwarber, Otani, and Riley. So like Those there's a lot of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like his his traditional numbers are going in the wrong way. So you pull up his baseball reference page and you're like, well, he lost like 70 points of OPS last year. Yeah. Like, what the hell are we talking about here? But I, I do think like there's a lot of batted ball data that supports the fact that Ryan Mountcastle. And then I looked up uh, Zimborski's Zips projection for him uh, earlier this week. And like it's much more in line with what he put up two seasons ago than it was last year. Um, sure. So I think like when you factor in that breakout potential with the the breakouts that have already occurred on this team, I'm totally with you. the The fact that there was no pitching investment and like, so Justin Verlander would have been a great fit on this team, right? Yeah. I think I think we're both on the same page that Justin Verlander was probably not going to seriously consider the Baltimore Orioles unless what what fifty five million dollars a year or something that was clearly, right. yeah. So like, like but Carlos Rodon to Baltimore, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, Rodon would have been right. So like. And and I get it. Like the, the Orioles have never been a team that have invested necessarily in those sorts of deals, particularly like for a pitcher with that level of injury concern. But now feels like the time where you would have done that because the other pitchers on that roster are like I know, I know Dean Kramer's uh, solid and his projections looking decent, and like Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. Like you've got arms coming. Like so now's the time to pay. Carlos Rodon, $20 million a year to come in and give you, you know, elite, elite 140, 150 innings a year, yeah. um, or at least in some seasons and hope that they're the right seasons. But I think I'm, I'm with you. This is, I, I thought you'd get a little bit more build coming off of last year with the Red Sox, not really being a force within that division, the Rays <laughs> yeah. losing whatever it was, 14, 15 games off of their win total from two seasons ago. It, felt yep. like there was an opportunity for them to be a legitimate wild card team and maybe that still happens but this this was an opportunity to go get pitching and there was well, and there was pitching on the market too well this i feel like right there's, there's basically there's three ways to get pitching there's three ways to get anything but i'm th- yeah. you know it's thinking specifically of pitching in the case of the orioles right you draft it well they don't and that's a philosophy and i think that a lot of that goes back to elias and sig and those guys when they were in houston right they did try to draft pitching high and it was a disaster appel aiken even poor forrest whitley who's you know like walking around with a black cloud over him you know, i they've just clearly decided since getting to baltimore we're not drafting pitching at least not high that's fine 
I understand that. It's a that's a strategy. Yeah. Okay, fine. Or you sign it in free agency. Well, they're not doing that. You got to trade for it then. Yeah. And they haven't done that yet. They still could. It's the one thing. If we see any kind of hot stove activity between now and honestly, really opening day, it could still happen in spring training. We could see some trades. And the Orioles do have position player prospect surplus and a couple of big leaguers who could be surplus. They could trade for pitching. And that's the one team I keep looking at and thinking, you're not done. Every, yeah. Most other yeah. teams that are trying um, are done. And I look at the Orioles and I think you should be trying to trade for pitching. I don't know if Pablo Lopez was really the right choice necessarily, but I hope the yeah. Orioles were at least in. They were on that and saying, yeah, call, make sure you talk to us before you do a deal because we we want one of your pitchers. They'd be the perfect fit and they could pay. They could pay a reasonable price that is fair for both sides, gets them the pitching they need and give up value, but not players they're likely to miss because the Orioles have such incredible depth and position player prospects. And I brought up Rodon as like, you know, a guy who could fit comfortably at the top of that rotation. To me, they could have been swimming in a different part of the pool too. Like they could have been swimming in the tie on part of the pool, right? Yes. Like, you, like yeah. they, you could have used like solid number four, three and a half bulk innings too. Like that would have fit on this roster as well. Um, and it's not like he broke the bank either or a Taiwan Walker or whoever in, in that class of pitcher they wanted to pursue. Um, there are lots of different shapes that could have fit in this rotation. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing, the last thing I'll say on the Orioles is that part of it is a problem with that. The Orioles didn't really improve. The other part of it is that uh, if you look at the two teams that they trailed in or two of the teams that they trailed in the wild card hunt, the Jays, the Jays got better, who I do want to talk yep. about at some point, and the Mariners mm -hmm. got better, who we just talked about, and the Twins, who were just behind them, I think got marginally better as well. So all the teams, whether those are the teams that they're competing against in 23, who knows? But uh, the teams that they were competing against in 22, I think, made clear-cut improvements, and the Orioles uh, really didn't. So you like the Varsho trade? I do. The Blue Jays? Yeah, I do too. I, I, I think that's I'm a big move. So I, yeah, I think I'm more like on, I, I think your, your win-win characterization of that trade is where I'm at with that, but I'm more interested mm -hmm. in the far show side because it's just more relevant right now, you know? Um, yeah, and we'll check in on Moreno in a couple of years or, or later this season, but you know, Varsho, depending on your defensive metric of choice was either very good or like elite defensively right he played yeah, all knew? three outfield positions and some catcher i know most of it was center field but he got a little time yeah. in the two corners as well um and you know it's not just him like he's the most impactful uh acquisition they made but i liked the chris bassett signing as well i think mm -hmm. that they're you know he's is he is exactly as good as he was last year i don't know but even if he's 85 or 90 percent of his 22 this rotation felt a lot more volatile all of a sudden than i think it, we might have anticipated a year ago, um, yeah. you know, with Berrios' season and whatever you can get from Kikuchi and Ryu moving forward. Um, like now you've got Manoa, Gosman, and Bassett, and it's like, okay, we're locked in. Those are three guys that I can really count on who I think have a diverse and interesting complement of skills too. Um, mm -hmm. And definitely the least important of, of the transactions, but one I don't think it should be overlooked is Brandon Belt too, who... Yeah. Um, you know, older now, injury prone, uh, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're a full season or so removed from the last time he was an effective player, but we're talking about a guy with a career 124 weighted runs created plus and a 265, 361, 472 slash from 13 to 21. Like to me, this is still a guy in the role that they're probably going to ask him to play 
to the extent that we care about righty lefty balance, these acquisitions also even that out a little bit um, uh, for what was predominantly a right right handed lineup. I just think mm-hmm. they they made. I, I think these are smart moves for a team that is trying to win baseball games right now in a division that I think they can win um, if things go their way uh, in twenty three. So I I really liked yeah. a, as a whole. Like maybe maybe the Verlander signing with the Mets was my single favorite transaction of the offseason, given yep. given who they got and what they were recovering from not getting. Um, right. <laughs> as a as a total package, I think the Blue Jays offseason might have been my favorite. Yeah, and it's it's funny as I look at their system too, which they you know they've traded a lot of guys and they have obviously they've promoted a lot of guys. Their system has a lot of really interesting names almost nothing that's likely to help them this year, except maybe some pitching prospects who, who project as starters. But probably if we see them this year, it's relievers, Tiedemann, Zulueta, Younger, et cetera, guys who I don't think will start a game for the Blue Jays this year. Maybe it's a spot star, but not, not impact. Yeah, yeah. Like, they needed to do this at the major league level, right? And that is great. This is what you do, right? You build. Some prospects make your team and they make your team better. Some prospects you trade. And then eventually you get to that point where, okay, we don't have help coming. How can we supplement from outside? And if you did your job well, you're making more minor acquisitions or you're trading, you know, they had a ton of catching and you trade Moreno, who I still love. And I, as far as I know, they still love. They were like, we hated giving this guy up, but they got a player they really needed who also keeps Springer ever from seeing center field, which is probably good for everyone concerned. For sure. And whatever you were going to get from Moreno as as a spot catcher, you can just get from Varsho now himself. Right. So, yeah. like, I know Kirk and Jansen are there, it. but like whatever flexibility yeah. Moreno would have allowed, um, you already have built in without. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm um, huge on what they did. Before I let you go, you mentioned breakout guys, which I did warn you ahead of time, just so people don't think I'm springing this uh, <laughs> on you. But you mentioned my own castle. Was there anybody else who jumped out to you as a potential breakout candidate for this year? So I have one kind of uh, guy who's major prospect list that I think is on the verge of a breakout. Uh, and then okay. a guy who's already received MVP votes that I think is <laughs> that that I think is just like we're as a national baseball community, we're on the verge of like his MVP performance, I think. So I'll go okay. first one. Brian Bayo, I think, is mm. a guy that we're going to see like a, a noticeable step forward from. You already sort of saw it last year. You look at what he did. It was a 4-7-1 ERA in 57 and a third innings um, in, you know, 13 appearances, 11 of which were starts. You know, FIP, whatever. FIP has its drawbacks, right? We all know that. But whether you look mm-hmm. at FIP or expected ERA, those numbers were either two runs or a run better than what his ERA put up. Uh, two nine yep. four FIP three eight zero xERA. He had a two five nine ERA, just normal ERA over his last six starts of the season. And it looks mm-hmm. like you. I mean, you're the scout. You can tell me. But it looks like from a statistical perspective, the changeup really played already. And batters had a hit one fifty eight off of it with a forty four percent whiff rate. Uh, and that to me is. You know, his fastball got hit around, his sinker and fastball got hit around substantially. But I think this is uh, a guy who showed a lot and looked like he was like kind of learning on the fly last year, too. Um, I agree. And making like start by start or, you know, maybe nonlinear, but improvements over the course of starts um, and in between starts. So he's he's on my short list for breakouts, at least as far as pitchers go. Yeah, he's the only thing I'll add to that. I agree with you on I, pretty much everything you said there. The one thing, like he's a guy where I wonder, and I just looked it up. He actually threw almost twice as many sinkers as he did four seamers. The four seamer, despite being really hard, I think I've seen him up to 99. Um, 
it's pretty ordinary. And he, it, he left a lot of them up last year. If you just look at his heat map, uh, pitch heat map too, there's a big red spot in the last place you really want it for a pitch. That's like that, like hitters, are, they're going to go after that. And they're probably going to hit it reasonably hard, which is, he doesn't have to, he's got full arsenal. He's got, yeah. if you count the sinker as a distinct pitch, he's got four other weapons. So he could really just, obviously, and this is a thing a lot of teams have worked with it on. So this is not wish casting. You just be like, no, no, you're throwing that one up, like at a guy's shoulder blades. And otherwise we don't really want to see a lot of four seamers here, unless you desperately need a strike. Like yeah. otherwise you have a four pitch mix that you can work with. He'd probably just be a lot more effective doing nothing more than that. Just working with the stuff that he already has. Hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 interested to see what uh what the sophomore season has. So him and Mountcastle are my two like actual breakout picks in terms of mm-hmm. uh you know, a guy who's already awesome that I think is going mm-hmm. to take the next I think Kyle Tucker, like we're we're on the verge of him being like an actual MVP. He's fifteenth he got fifteenth in the AL MVP vote in twenty two and twentieth in twenty one. Yeah. So I feel like we're not and he didn't I'm not saying he deserved to win the MVP in either of those seasons, but he's 10th among AL batters in war over the last two years. And it feels like, you know, like his his kind of raw OPS slash line took a step back last year. But, you know, he was more active on the base paths. And it just feels like it just feels like we're entering like the culmination of every element of his skill set. He was an impact player defensively last year, uh, mm-hmm. according to the metrics. And I just think with with all the things that he does well, um, I think we're going to see a a slash line that's closer to 21 than it was 22 with all of the good things that happened in 22 as well. So I think that's kind of my uh, more my subjective gut reaction yeah. to where Kyle Tucker is going. Uh, I buy it. I loved, I mean, for a guy who's got his kind of pounds, 30 homers exactly in each of the last two years and less than 100 strikeouts in each of the last two years. That's like you're in the wrong era, buddy. Like that That's, is just, we don't see hitters. Don't do that. Totally. And like that, you know, I, I think it was a 15% strikeout rate each of the last two seasons. It's just mm-hmm. like, there's so much. And, and like, I think he lost about 50 points on, on his uh, balls and play average between 21 yeah. and 22 too. So for a guy who's striking out that infrequently, like it just feels like there's going to be some bounce back there. And even if he's not, even if he's not a fundamentally better player than he was over the last two seasons, which I still think is possible. I mm-hmm. I just feel like everything's going to kind of coalesce. So, um, yeah, great pick. Yeah, yep. So, Thank you for writing my uh, annual breakouts column for me. I really appreciate. Oh, that. Oh no problem. I'm I'm available anytime you need you need help like that. Excellent. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll hit you up at the draft. You can tell me who's going first overall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, out of my depth quickly. It seems like. <laughs> my guest today has been my longtime friend, former colleague Justin Havens. Most recently of MLB.com, we worked together at ESPN Baseball Tonight. And you can even follow him on Twitter. And I had your page open and now I lost it because I do that. It is J A Kid, J A Y H A Y Kid. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Keith, it was a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll look forward to talking ball with you in the future. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. I will return uh, probably next week. It may not be necessarily at the beginning of the week because obviously I'll be finishing up the top 100 and some of the associated content around that. But this show should be weekly uh, as much as I can, at least into spring training. Travel can interrupt that a little bit. But the goal is to have this be weekly for the next couple of months at least. So if you are not currently a subscriber, if somebody passed this to you, you can subscribe iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, 
Stitcher, wherever you like to. Uh, and many, many of you have left positive comments and positive reviews on iTunes, especially. I really appreciate that. It does help spread the word about the show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and stay safe. Stay safe.